welcome to Across the Margin, the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Shields. Across the Margin is part of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to OsirisPod.com and take a gander at the plethora of eclectic and exciting podcasts they have to offer. That's OsirisPod.com. Today, I am thrilled to shine a light on an absolute achievement of a book, one that floored me in its scope and one that consumed me with joy and fascination as I got deeply lost in its pages. That book is entitled The Revisionaries by A.R. Moxon. joins us on the program here today. So, what is The Revisionaries all about? Well, The Revisionaries is a wildly imaginative, masterfully rendered, and suspenseful tale that conjures the bold, outlandish stylishness of Thomas Pinchon, Michael Chabon, Margaret Atwood, Stephen King, and Alan Moore, while being unlike anything that's come before it. It is about a priest who may or may not be a priest trying to differentiate between reality and fantasy in order to find the source of his faith. Beyond his quest toward the spiritual, this priest, named Julius, is under pressure to save the world. Featuring a female acrobat with a luxurious beard, the peculiar followers of a religious cult, an enigmatic smoking figure who seems to know what's going to happen just before it does, and an ancient hereditary evil hidden in the heart of Tennessee's grandest tourist trap, Pigeon Forge. If that sounds strange to you, you are not wrong. The Revisionaries, remarkably, takes place in at least three locales across at least four levels of reality and is composed in at least five typefaces. It's a wild, wild ride. While the story bobs and weaves and is chock full of clever design elements and alternate perspectives, when you immerse yourself in the book, you will be blown away by how delightfully readable it is. And I was personally shocked just how quickly I soared through the near 600 pages. Once you start this journey and begin to explore Moxon's zany world, you won't be able to get enough. While jovial, The Revisionaries is also penetrating and thought-provoking. It is a novel that I've seen aptly described as in continuous dialogue with itself, where you feel the author is taking you behind the scenes of the crafting of the book as different perspectives of the interwoven tale are shared steadily. The Revisionaries is deep brimming with introspection about the fluid relationship between the writer and the reader, and also flush with insight and social commentary, weighing in on the prison system, toxic masculinity, the responsibilities or complications of ultimate power, and contemplating time and again what it means to be alive. In this episode, me and AR discuss his collaboration with fellow writer Ben Comery, the challenges he had in bringing to life a 400,000-word manuscript, the unique stylization choices he employed, the many weighty, thought-provoking themes found throughout the narrative, the influence of the band Fish on the book, and much, much more. Worth noting, you're going to want to follow AR on Twitter. His handle is at Julius Goat. That's at Julius Goat. There, he shares insightful takes on American politics, amongst other topics that always hits the mark. All right, let's get into it. Here is my interview with AR Moxon. Really, really something. I um, 
Oh, wonderful. I went after it in like five days and just spent those five days with it. It was it was a wild, wild ride. Um, but um, I can imagine. <laughs> I, mean, I honestly did it this weekend. It was a whole MLK weekend. Just you know, me and Julius and the gang. It was tons of fun. But um, so I'm so curious. You know uh, how you brought this thing to life and um, just to dive right in. Um, from what I could tell, uh, from you know the dedication and the acknowledgments at the end that um, you worked with this, worked with someone on this. Is is that correct? It was a collaboration in some ways. Yeah, that's accurate. I so I, I started this book. Um, I w- I think boy, it was it was right around uh, 2028, about 20 years ago, and uh, it was with my friend. Uh, his name is Ben Colmery, uh, and we were you know we were friends in in college, and we were uh, at kind of like first job out of college, um, and we had always talked about writing, but. I'd always realized that, you know, at, at some point we realized that, that it was, it was more something we were talking about than doing. Yeah. And we, we, I, I wrote a few sentences and one of them was about uh, a man who realized he was sandals. It was sort of a metamorphosis um, uh, riff. And uh, I, I told him, why, why don't you write something based on one of these sentences? And mm-hmm. he did. And then, I wrote based on what he had written and he wrote based on what I had written. And by the end of the whole thing, we've had hundreds of pages. It just sort of, it just sort of took off over a couple of years and we had hundreds of pages of just really weird incidents. Um, and that was sort of the grist for the book. Um, I wanted to make it a book, but I realized what, what that I had with all of this material was a, a lot of very interesting incident and a lot of uh, narratives that I liked and characters that I liked, but there really, there wasn't yet a through story. And at some point, Ben moved on to um, Peace Corps and it kind of just sat for a little while. It was always always working on it. And I kept thinking about it. And every once in a while, I just sort of returned to it in my mind. And at some point around 2012, I realized that I had a narrative and that the narrative was, it, it, it was able to encapsulate all of those characters and mm-hmm. all of that incident. And it was going to be about the nature of the collaborative relationship in a book between readers and authors and it was still also going to be about all of this really strange stuff we had written and all of these characters. And uh, I, w- I kind of set a goal for myself that I wanted to include as much of that insanity as I could, like all of the major plot points that I could as a way of honoring the fact that it, it had begun as a collaboration. Yeah. And so that's sort of what I did. What a what a eureka aha moment you had right there! Were able to piece all those, you know, kind of it was, zaniness I would together, say it was a, and then and then find that through line, and also find what you were, you know, kind of uh, a theme you wanted to base it on. Yeah, well, I, it was a series of eureka moments. Sure. There were always there there were always these moments where I would realize how you know, oh, that's how this is going to connect with that. That oh, I see. That's mm-hmm. that's why. 
the donut shop is important. That's how that's going to play in there. Or this is this is why this is how the fountain is going to connect with this strange neighborhood that that I um, that, that we you know we we sort of have collaborated. So um, so what wound up happening is I I, I would I took it back. Mm-hmm. You know I took all of this. Um, I took all all of all of this story incident back. And I kind of just started over from scratch with all of that in my mind and wrote it anew over oh. the course of about three and a half years. Yeah. So, yeah, it, yeah. it was uh, it, it was definitely born of collaboration. It was, it was so cool. something that couldn't have come about without that and in the way that it did, certainly. And, you know, you saw the dedication. Yeah. Which says, what a, what a, what a uh, dedicated... Cool. What a cool writing prompt <laughs> that you started yeah. out with. One thing that's, I mean, it's obviously when you just mentioned, um, you know, three and a half years uh, in that re- rewrite. Um, I mean, there's a lot here. And uh, I've been in an article um, by you that uh, you never really believed that it would get published. And that was because you believed the um, at that point, the, uh, the, the book was going to be about 400,000 words. And as you point out, 800,000 to... Uh, um, you know, a little over a hundred thousand being the norm, but it turns out, mm-hmm. I guess you finished around, um, um, a little bit over 300,000 words, something like that. But, uh, how was, uh, how was it, um, you know, attempting to get this, this beast of a manuscript, um, published and, and kind of, how did it feel when it did? Cause you didn't believe that mm-hmm. it, that would happen, which, you know, looking at the content, that's kind of yeah. shocking to me, but you were worried about the you know girth of it. Um, yeah, I, I I began writing, and I I knew, as you said, I, I knew that it was going to be long, and I did a little bit of due diligence when I was not too far in, mm-hmm. just to see, you know, if if I'm writing this, and I, I really kind of picked it up as a hobby. I didn't have a writing career, and, yeah. um, I didn't really have an audience, and so I I. I basically just wanted to know well when this is done kind of going well i thought so let's see what the you know let's see see what i would do about getting it published and i learned that you you should get an agent and the agent is going to sell the, the book to the publishing company i learned all of these things that you know anybody who is trying to write has probably already learned and one of the things i learned was if you are a debut novelist particularly um, it's good to keep your book, you know, somewhere within 80,000 words to 120,000 mm-hmm. words, which would roughly come to, you know, that's, that's like the, the 180, 250 page sure. round. And that's, that's sort of what's marketable usually. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. just sort of what people are interested in, third, in trying to sell what people are interested in buying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there was a lot of information about that. Just basically saying, no, you know, if, if you're above that, you really shouldn't. There are some genres where maybe you can get away with like 150,000. Well, I knew that I was going to do more. I knew, I already knew just from the plot that I had, that I had drawn out and how far I was in and how many pages I had written. There was no way it was going to be, as you said, like 400,000. And what I determined was, okay, fine. This is the story I want to write. 
and I'll just teach myself to write by doing it. And I'll try and, you know, I'll make a go of it, but it's very clear all of the information out here by the people who, you know, who, who do this profession is just they don't do this. So I won't take it personally when they say no. <laughs> and, and so when things kind of lined up and, and it worked, I was thrilled. I mean, that, that to the second part of your question, how did it feel? Mm-hmm. I was thrilled. Yeah. I couldn't, I, I couldn't quite believe it. I thought that I would just, you know, write a, write this one, put it on the shelf, write a second one, hopefully eventually get a career as a writer. Mm-hmm. And maybe if I was successful enough someday, uh, somebody would be interested in publishing uh, my doorstep. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that, that's sort of, that's sort of how, how it went. It was, it was something that was, uh, it was very validating. Um, I think there was a lot of luck involved, but, yeah, yeah. but I would never have done it if I hadn't gone into it realizing uh, this probably isn't going to be. Yeah. And that's it. That's great. And I love that it kind of, um, you know, it's kind of a, it points to sticking by the art a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very glad you did and, and kind of, you know, wanted to put this out. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I've, I'm already recommended it around a lot. And I'm <laughs> first thing I have to say, I'm oh. like, do not let it, do not let the size of this get you away. I mean, it's, it's even though, and I'm, my next question is about um, style and, and, and kind of how the changes within it, but it's just so readable and it just flows too. So it's, I'm always telling people, don't, don't look at the size of this thing, but, like to what I was saying, I love how stylized it was. All the different um, uh, typefaces, the fade out, the segues between uh, the revisions, even even a comic book panel at one point. And um, so I wonder if mm-hmm. you could talk about how kind of fun it was it, it, in playing all these two tools to tell your story or even some of the challenges or either way you want to talk about it in weaving that tapestry together, stylistically speaking. That was that was big part of it for me the, in the fun. Yeah, so so what you're referring to is the fact that that there is a lot of stylized elements mm-hmm. to it. Anyone who's read it, um, sometimes the text will kind of go off the margin. Sometimes um, there's almost cartoonish font choices that are being made. You, you reference there's a you know there's even a, um, a comic book page. Mm-hmm. Fade out, uh, and and certainly. I, there were challenges to writing the book. Those things were never really challenges for me. Mm-hmm. I think they were challenges probably for Melville House, mm-hmm. who published the book and were great. And, you know, all of these weird big swings that I wanted to take, they just went with. Love I couldn't that. believe it. Love, yeah. I, was, I mean, it was, it was amazing because I, I submitted the manuscripts and I was like, well, they're not going to let me do that. Yeah. Like that. That's not going to, like, they're going to, eventually someone's going to sit down and just have a talk with me. You're already imagining you know? the notes you were going to get about all those things. Yeah, know? and <laughs> just be like, well, you know, I'm, I'm really asking a lot. Because, <laughs> yep. you know, you're changing you're changing fonts, and that's more that you, you know, like, it's just a lot of work to do. Yep. From my perspective, the challenge wasn't, those things weren't challenges. Those things were, I guess, that's, that's part of, the benefit of writing when you're you really are just kind of writing for your own um for i won't say my own sake because there definitely were people i wanted to read the book but mm-hmm. i didn't think that it was going much was going to come of it so it freed me up to when whatever occurred to me i would say i, I would i would sort of think 
you know, do I dare do that? And then I'd think, well, it's going to work for me. So yeah, but why not do it? So I would do it. And, um, the, there were choices that I made that, that came out. Um, there were a lot of them, but for the most part, the ones that, that were in there where the instinct was correct and it fit the theme of what was mm-hmm. happening in the book. Um, and there was a reason for that to be, you know, cartoonish looking bot choice. So there's a reason for it to go off the margin or for the, 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 the um, type to simply fade off the page. Honestly, it, things- it, it helped in understanding things and understanding the changes of perspective or just kind of what was going on. It, it really aided mm-hmm. in, in the understanding of, of, of the, this, you know, kind of interwoven narrative. Yeah, that was exactly what it was meant to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the fact that you have a lot of different, um, you start to realize, and you know, not to spoil too much, but you start to realize that you have a, a lot of different narratives happening, and they're kind of competing with each other. And sometimes they are, um, sometimes they're cooperating with each other, but they're they're, they're being they're coming from different sources. Um, and knowing that that's what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I was always looking for ways to kind of use the page in order to make those things more clear without just coming out and saying so that they would the the language, of course, and, and you know, the, the incident, the words, the sentences by sentence mm-hmm. are going to tell the story. But if you can do things, you know, it was almost like trying to discover special effects within within the the realm of literature. It was a lot of fun. Totally. Those were were always the fun things to discover. Definitely. It was was another tool to use within a book. And Mm -hmm. you only think your only tools within a book are words sometimes. But if you use these stylistic elements, I mean, that's, I don't know. I'd like to see more of that. I thought that was perfectly used and like i said it really aided into the experience and it made it a a kind of a richer more unique experience all around um i'm really excited to get into uh, a bunch of themes of the thing but i want to ask uh kind of real quick what um or what what sort of influences i mean um you know your influences uh as as a reader or or people you've you know storytelling wise i mean whether authors Mm -hmm. or filmmakers i mean I'm just, you know, I was thinking about like what kind of led you artistically to writing this type of way. What's what are you into? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty. I'm I, I think the the influences are, are pretty wide ranging. Yeah. Um, and you know, I w- I would cite a number of different things. I, I definitely drew from a lot of different um, a lot of different genres yeah. and a lot of different um, uh, a lot of different modes as well. Yeah. So. Um, you know, one of the earliest um, writers that that really inspired me to want to write was Stephen King. Yeah. Um, and so there's definitely some King in there. You know, where the when when I sat down to write it, I definitely wanted to have a, a piece of that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, people more recently that that have really inspired me are you know writers that show a real mastery of form. Um, Margaret Atwood comes to mind. Uh, her book, The Blind Assassin, has this ability oh, yeah. to give you the story 
um, so that you know it, it, it's it's just a masterpiece of withholding the right days, yep. the right information, the right, the right moment, yep. and then and then just landing it on you. But at the same time, um, um, bringing you along so that when it when that information is given to you, it sort of meets you at the same moment as you're understanding it yourself. It was really extraordinary. Um, one that gets mentioned a lot who was definitely an in- influence is uh, Thomas Tynchon, mm. just because really any of the, any of these authors that, that do um, very unusual things, bold choices. Yeah. I, I like to think of it as, as uh, a writer that kind of gives you permission where when you're yep. reading it, you go, you can do, oh, you can do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so it allowed, you know, it allowed me to sit down and approach some of the elements that you were talking about, you know, where, mm-hmm. where well, what made you make the, the, uh, put a, put a comic book page in. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I, I felt that I had been given a lot of permission by, by writers like that. Yep. Uh, the Stephen King element was really, you know, can I write something that's really weird and something that is still has the, his, his ability to constantly have momentum happening. Each sentence interests you and it makes you want to read the next sentence and every page makes you want to read the next page. And, you know, can you make a really weird page turn? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Outside of novels, I would cite, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of comic book writers and there's a lot of comic book stuff that's just embedded in, uh, into the, the narrative Definitely. Of the book itself. And that was very, uh, very influential. Uh, one of the things that was really driving the creative process, actually, that might be of interest is the... Um, is the music of the band Fish? It's because both. I'm so glad you that, said that. That is, I have a big mark here that says uh-huh. I have to ask if you are a fan of Fish. And please go on. I didn't mean to stop you. That just that just made me very excited. Though, go on. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, we we definitely need to get into the fish of it all because yes. this is an Osiris Media uh, uh, podcast. Yep. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, you know. We, we were we were into fish and had been by 2000 probably you know I, I would say we really we really first started getting into that band maybe 97 98 mm-hmm. and Ben is the one who went out and started the sea shows I, I really didn't because I just didn't go out you guys are, you guys are from the Midwest right we were in Indianapolis for a bit okay, and man. yeah and and, yeah, and we're both yeah. from yep yep so Ben went and saw them with a bunch of our friends in 98 and I missed the show. <laughs> I could have gone and seen them in 98 and Deer Creek. Yeah, I did. It was, um, it was good. And, and, and he will remind me of that. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I really, I really liked the, the music mm-hmm. um, and the, the lyrics really interested me because yeah. they had that, this, this very, you know, strange subterranean kind of surreal, they could mean anything. They could go anywhere. And so, um, you know, there's a number of reasons that my character's name is Julius, yeah, but the song Julius is one of those reasons. Yep. 
and there, you know, the there's there aren't any songs that are the plot of this book. You won't find, you know, you, but but I was listening to Hoist a lot, and there were certain elements of the um, of the lyrics that that suggested things. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so there, there are probably things that are in there because of those songs and those lyrics. And probably what? When we were writing it, so Story of the Ghost would have been out, so we mm-hmm. would have that a lot. And there's just something really, there's something really uh, um, evocative and almost intangible and, and still very goofy and funny. About those, about those lyrics, and I just loved them. And they, they helped drive, uh, they helped drive the kind of the tone. I can um, even see some of the characters um, that that you've brought to life uh, could almost like live in in the same type of realm as um, you know from the the game edge narrative that um, uh, they fish brought to life with McGrupp. Uh, Rutherford, the Brave, mm-hmm. Taylor, characters like that. There, I mean, they have defined different traits in in that sort of um, way. And I mean, not only just the lyrics. But I mean, you know, some of their songs have just like kind of zany but intense and thought provoking um, narratives mm-hmm. in them. And 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 I can see how that influences there. It's funny. I I I didn't know when I when I was reading, and you know, the word Julius kind of came to mind. And then um, I came upon a page where. Um, you know, just the the line. I think that I uh, I know what I hadn't known yet. Just I, you know, was there. Right. And, and then just below it, and you know, I'm I'm already um, thinking about maybe you being a fish fan um, because, you know, and maybe you didn't do this because of the reasons. But there was um there the the universe is a donut situation. Was that inspired yeah, we, by fish or was that prior? We have to talk about that. We do. That was a mo- that was a moment. So. <laughs> that was a moment where uh, my my head almost melted uh, because because I wrote, so so I'm I'm this this might be a long answer let's see let's see how I can. all good go go but but very very early on in the proceedings I I think I still have the first two pages that Ben sent mm-hmm. from which we just sort of kind of built our sandcastles. And it involves um, Gordy returning to this neighborhood that becomes known as Looney Island within the finished book. And he he realizes he's been at a circus, and there's a lot of things. That, most of the incident that's in those first two pages is still in like happened there. And I went back to it recently; and it was extraordinary. But one of the things is he realizes he needs to talk to Donkey Face. That would be Donk, Donk um, Daniel. Yep. Right. And he, uh, and, and that means they need to go and get donuts. Mm-hmm. And so for donuts were, were what is seminal to this book. It's Definitely. One of, it is one of the first things. Yep. And, and it was always just there. And like most things that were in this book back then, when we were basically just, it was sort of like you say, we were trying to create this sort of silly, goofy, but intense kind of fishy sort of world mm-hmm. without really saying that that's what we were trying to do. I think that's what we're kind of trying to do. Yep. And, um, and the donuts were always in there. And like most of the other things, they didn't really connect too much. Um, 
back in those days. It was just we would go off in whatever direction and just sort of write whatever we As I wrote it, I began to realize that there was a scene that needed to be central. And that scene happened to, in the original book, be written as taking place in the donut shop that we had established. So I kept bringing more and more donut things into the writing because I knew that I was going to eventually get to this scene where um, a character who's going to reveal himself to be, you know, has, has been sort of shadowy in his his, you know, his name is Landry, who gets established early on, and people aren't really sure what his deal is. He's going to, he's going to sort of unpack a, a large amount of the mystery. He's going to resolve it for the reader and for the characters who've been wondering. And, and one of the things that, that when I sat down to write that scene that I eventually had him say is, because I had just learned that actually... He's, he's sort of unpacking the mysteries of the universe. And I had just seen a YouTube video or a science podcast or something that was talking about how many physicists believe the universe is shaped. It's torus shape yeah, or the, a donut. Yeah, it's the three torus model. Yeah, yeah, that was out there for a while. Right. So I had just kind of gotten hip to that. Mm -hmm. And this would have been back in, uh, Ben and I went back to try and figure out when, when was, when, like, when was, was this written? Was it in the first draft, second draft? Um, it was at least 2015. It was probably 2014. I wrote the words, the universe is a donut. Mm. <laughs> and so flash forward. Were you at Jimmy's? And it, what's that? Were you at Jimmy's night? Was that the night when they did? No, the I was. I, okay. I, I, I went to, I went to Dick's that year. Okay. Yep. Um, so I, I caught all three shows, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I didn't, I, I, if I had been there Jimmy's night, I don't even know, but I was, I was listening along yeah. and they started to the Harpua thing and they're doing all of this stuff. And I'm like, yeah. well, this is kind of fun. This is actually kind of sort of like what I was like my, my at this point it's 2017. So my book is complete. I haven't found a, a publisher yet, but it's done and it's been written for a while. For and, and they say the universe is a donut. And I said, what <laughs> wow. this whole like the culmination of my book and yep. the culmination of sort of their whole experiment yep. both land on the same phrase and That's great. i like i called or texting and was done the only person that like he's, he's fish and he knows the book and i'm like i no one will ever believe this i <laughs> like i don't know <laughs> there's no way it's ever coming out of the book I'll, I'll, I'll fight to the death for that line, but it's, it's such a crazy thing. That's, but I guess it does speak to the fact that we probably were, at least for a, a moment, uh, occupying similar headspace. Yeah, that's amazing. I, mean, I figured it, it, you know, I didn't know when you finished the book, and, and once I figured you might have some fishy influence, I thought that might have been pulled in after. That's That that must have felt really cool. That's amazing that it was, that it was prior it, to that. It, it, did it almost felt eerie there yeah. there have been a, a few moments like that but that was the most um that that was definitely the craziest one where where they said that and there was like maybe 10 seconds of like is that really where they're going i think that's what they're about to say and then they said it <laughs> anyway it, it was it was a crazy uh experience that i could not share with anybody like yes. you can't wait 
your your wife up and then say, <laughs> okay, listen, I have to explain a lot of things about fish and my book for this to make sense. But trust me, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know what? You're talking to someone who completely gets how that would be so, so amazing. That's great. No, at one point I was saying the... um. The, I saw kind of like that line, I don't know if you did it on purpose, but I think that I know what I hadn't known yet, which is the line from the song, Julius. And in like two sentences down, um, it's, it, you know, she's holding the ticket stub in her hand, which is a song, you know, and kind of a theme in Goldie Apparatus, another song. I'm like, this, this, this is fishy right now. I've never texted someone. I'm like, I think, I think AR Moxon likes fish, you know, like as I'm reading it and just, it's, it just, it all makes sense, but that's cool. There are. Yeah, there are a handful of places where there would be a phrase that fit the moment uh-huh. so perfectly that I, you know, how, how there was not? never there was never any thought to well let let's shoehorn this line in or nope. this line, it but happened. it was literally a moment where Julius was pretty sure he knew something he hadn't known yet. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so yep. I was like, well, I think I'm, I, I think we're, I think we're just going to put an Easter egg in here for, <laughs> and and. My hope was that one day some, like a single fish fan would ever read it. Yeah. It <laughs> happened. And be like, did you? It's happened. <laughs> it's so it, it happens a lot now. Cool. Um, awesome. And yeah. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm, here, I'm here to make sure that happens a little bit more now too, which is, which is really, really cool. Um, all right. Let's, um, let's, that's, I'm really glad that came up kind of naturally too, because it was actually one of my last uh, questions, but um, I'd like to dig into a couple other themes that are, that are a little uh, more weightier, but um, one that like kind of continually presented itself to me was, um, was kind of, um, I'm not sure if it's just, if it's toxic masculinity, maybe more like mm-hmm. the, the hubris of man. We see so vividly in like, uh, both Isaac Love and Morris, who truly believe mm-hmm. everyone is in service to them, um, even if it's just to like if to teach them something. Their existence is there to so they can learn something more about themselves. It's is that something that um, you've thought about a bunch when you're putting it together about like narcissism of those in power or in search of power? It seemed like a powerful statement you were making time and time again. Yeah, no, no question. Yeah. Um, it was it was something that grew rather naturally out of the narrative, yeah. uh, which was a narrative that was, you know, originally written by a couple guys who were, you know, they we were basically pretty young guys, and it wasn't on our mindset. Mm-hmm. I can say with, with assurance that at least for me, you know, um, it, it wasn't much in in mind. We were just like writing with us. But yeah. as I sat down, you know, with 12 or more years more experience under my belt, and I looked at what I had, I realized a number of things um, about, you know, the characters we had made and the implications of the choices they had made. And it was, it was really in piecing that together that I, I started to see a narrative form. One of the things that I did, and I talk about this in my newsletter a bit, we actually went to Pigeon Forge in mm-hmm. 2000, and we um, and while we were there, we were trying to figure out the book, and we didn't really manage to figure much out about the book. But I, I this sounds like the uh, so, so it, 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 it sounds like such a tale, but I was like I was sort of like, well, we need a, a, a framework. Maybe we can find one here. I pull out the Gideon Bible. I turn to the page it's the book of jonah which is only four pages long 
it's short. Uh-huh. And I was like, because we were trying to figure out who Gordy is. I was like, well, maybe he's a prophet. And I, so I kept referring to Jonah. Jonah is about a prophet who's told to basically go and save his enemy, and he runs away. That's the, that's the big story. And he mm-hmm. keeps getting brought back to this thing. And in the end, he succeeds. He's very angry because he wanted to help his enemy. That's the, that's, it's a short story. That's the story. Uh, and I was like, well, that's an interesting, you know, not to say that, that I follow the story beat for beat, but I was like, that's an interesting thing to hang a story off mm-hmm. of. And he does seem like he's a prophet. So let's, let's do this with this character, Gordon. Let's make him a prophet. And that meant that we had to have somebody who has done something that would be so bad that it would be, it would be, uh, um, it would almost be offensive to, to think about helping that person. And that's where Morris came from. Isaac mm-hmm. and I and, and as I started building them I just started playing with this idea of solipsism like true solipsism somebody who truly believes that they are the only thing that exists and that everything else really actually is literally a figment of their imagination and sort of builds this generational mythology around it and that's so that's what these characters are. This is our antagonist. And they, have, they, they are able to accumulate wealth and power, and they have some power that is supernatural in nature that gives them even more that they can do, um, and, and really build a monster. Uh, and having done that, and having that character exist within that world, and you know, making a choice to have that be the the antagonist meant mm-hmm. that there was going to be a lot of really terrible things that people were doing in this book. And it felt true to me that it would be more often things that men were doing to women. Mm-hmm. That was my observation of the world so far. Yep. I, will, I will say, I, <laughs> I, um, I thought at the time, well, this is just too cartoonishly evil. <laughs> this was... <laughs> This was before 2015, 2016. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, no one's going to believe, uh, you know, prisons or profit. Yeah. I was a little, even as I'm building, I'm a little sheltered. And then as, as I'm editing, I'm going to realize. And one of the things that was really a turn for me was realizing that, yes, Morris is unfathomably evil anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the challenge, you know, of making him understandable to a reader was a real challenge. But also these other characters are toxic in their own way. Mm -hmm. You know, Gordy has this sort of, you know, he has, he's a nice guy, but he puts these women in his life into categories that make it rather impossible for them. And he doesn't really consider them when he makes his choices. Mm -hmm. And it takes them a really long time to realize. Um, so there are key scenes in there where, you know, the big turn for Gordy is sort of his final meeting with Jane when he finally realizes, um, you know, he has some epiphanies around those, those choices. Yeah, no, it's, it's wild. It's huge lines when you're talking about Morris, like his, um, his unshakable faith in his own singularity and, um, there was, I, mm-hmm. I, lo- I love nettles. Um, she, she just kind of dances in and out, but um, she was talking kind of about the treatment of woman, and she was like, how is it that women get 
chewed the hardest. This uh, this God of yours, you must have gone through a divorce. You men suffer, but we get maimed. And then there was even times like where, um, you know, uh, um, I think it was Jane who was talking about how just poor men are at taking responsibility. You know, the because of you is the mantra of men, and just and I think that was Gordy too. Just to, to what you were speaking to yeah. in, in Gordy at times, and and it, it and it was interesting to see. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you're right. You wrote this before uh, some of this um, the narcissism that we see in leaders that we become accustomed to was was um you know out there in the open but that was that really really got me just the hubris kept coming back and these people um who really just just thought it all revolved around them but you also just said something that was a, a big uh you know there was a lot of commentary on this and made me think a lot of potentially the most biting commentary in the book is um is about the prison industrial complex and that is done through morris's stacks of uh uh, are they called oubliettes? I was wondering how they pronounced yep, that. Yeah, I nailed it. Um, and um, the way you described them, especially when you put the characters in them, is absolutely terrifying. It's kind of um, just so the listener, if if you if you haven't read, um, you know, it's 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 a device you go inside of and you just stare into yourself. The you know you're in a in in a box and just it, the entire time they keep you alive and. It's just absolutely disgusting and terrible, terrifying. But, um, but I mean, were you thinking about just the kind of the horrors? Because he puts them in stacks, and it just, you know, there's a lot of talk about um, how this is his, uh, you know, the there's a line. It's the most perfect industry yet um, devised presents a solution to the problem of unwanted people. So, you know, you're speaking yeah. to how fucked up the, uh, the the prison system is. Yeah. That's, I mean, th- that, that was, that was quite, that was quite deliberate. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it uh, the, the reality of the, the prison industrial complex is, is I'll, I'll be frank. I don't think it's something that has, has yet settled all the way into mm. my consciousness. Yep. Um, when, when I was devising it, the idea for the UBS came in a dream and really the, uh-huh. the idea of, of the, and and it was it was sort of an answer to the question of what is this horrible thing that Morris has done that would make it so effective for anyone to think about helping him? You know, what, why would why would Gordy want to run away? Why would that be his choice? And um, and it was as I was writing it, and as I was sort of layering in um, with with um, second and third passes that these connections, which had occurred to me as I was writing them the first time, I, I realized that they needed to be made uh, uh, sharper and, and be brought more into focus because it, it wasn't just, it, it was presented sort of as a fantasy element, the way it's, um, it's actualized. But the mm-hmm. truth is that, that all of, you know, that, that these are things that actually happen as are, you know, a number of the other things that you'll see that are sort of presented again at first as cartoonish genre elements. But the truth is they are, uh, they are themselves um, manifestations of a certain solipsism that exists within society. People mm-hmm. don't want to see things. And so you have an invisible man who is in uh, a society that, that has been abandoned and the society itself has been abandoned. Mm-hmm. And that society needs to prison. 
things, because the theme is about, you know, at, at the at the very top level of the story, about the idea of a relationship uh, and a relational um, experience in art between creators uh, who can say how things are and readers who interpret what it means and how the readers have a greater power and uh, the fact that an, an author who believes that they they hold all the power in that relationship and can dictate every interpretation is it, it's it's a tyrannical idea and it's also uh, ultimately a uh, a self-defeating idea yeah. that works in the same way as within the plot of the story a solipsism is where somebody wants to, who believes they themselves can control all the elements in their world. Mm -hmm. And they believe that they can dictate on, onto other people um, their belief structure and their and, and they can impose their will. And that always results in the sorts of things that you see people used for profit. Yep. Um, you know, people, people, people who can't be used to discard it if they are no longer profitable. And, and these are things that obviously have been happening all along. Um, I'm, I, I give myself no credit for discovering this. And in truth, um, you know, I, I, it, it really has been in, in you know, the education of the last 10 years, mm -hmm. kind of accelerated in, in recent years to even realize the extent to which this was true. Um, it was, sort of jarring to create these things as fantasy elements and start to realize how how much they jived with the real world. Yeah, it's daunting. Um, That's intense. And, and, and the news kept delivering the proof of it. Yep. So yeah. it, it hasn't been it hasn't been great, but it has been educational. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's 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 eye opening. And I'm glad you I'm glad you really um, just dug into that idea of um, the power of the reader, to, and not just in not just the reader and anyone interpreting art, because it is a big theme that that resonates throughout the book. And you know, the, it's the power in, in interpretation. There was something that was completely captivating within the book. Um, right. And then the idea that I mean, the kind of that commentary we were discussing, and it comes up a bunch. And um, there's a ritual in it, the bird or spade ritual, and and you state, you know, just kind of how that it, it means something bigger the 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 bird or spade isn't our um uh a way alone it's it's the way of the world and, and you know the idea of increasing worth by removing um you mm -hmm. know people to a more suitable place when 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 that might be pop uh profitable and or if not just remove them altogether it's there's there's a lot to chew on there one thing i really that just kept striking me and something i think about a whole bunch and and I felt you utilized so well is the power of forgetting. And um, in the book, it comes up in, you know, both good and bad ways. Uh, like positively, characters um, could kind of utilize this ability, the, the fountain, uh, the, the, um, when you drink the fountain, you forget, but they could utilize it to forget pain, whether it's their time in the oubliettes or just other pain in their lives. But it was also used by Morris and Love um, uh, to control and so it had to be interesting to be to play with the idea of what what like a kind of a clean slate of the mind can mean both positively and negatively. Yeah, I, I think I think for the most part um, in the book, it's 
it's either something that's being done to somebody or it's something that is um, that is sort of a, a choice to escape into. But there are certainly moments when everyone is released from the oubliettes where they're, they're, they're sort of allowed to forget. It, it, it's, it's anesthetic in a way. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, and, and of course, oubliette means to forget. Um, or oublié, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I think, why that particular device is. And, and there is a device called an oubliette. It's not like the ones in this book. They're not. They're not these kind of stainless steel mechanical, you know, coffin prison type situations. They're more like I think. I believe that it's a hole in the ground. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the idea of amnesia is. I, I know the, the, uh, that I amnesia is, is a pretty well-worn um, comic book trope, uh, you know, genre trope. Um, and, uh, but, but at the same time, it sort of, it sort of ties back into uh, this idea of believing that you're the only thing that exists mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or only wanting to see your perspective. You, you sort of have to forget that other people exist, um, and 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 that's a pervasive thing throughout the novel uh, that uh, uh, just sort of keeps coming back around. Um, and then, of course, you have a character who has has purposefully decided to escape into uh, into forgetfulness yep. um, as a way of sort of. Uh, avoiding a, a confrontation that they would really rather uh, rather not face. And, and this sort of insane directive that they've received yeah, you can free from what yourself, seems to be a divine source. You can free yourself from responsibility that way. Bailey was giving Gordy mm-hmm. shit at one point. He's, you know, you can say to yourself, you just didn't know, you know? And, and right. then, and then uh, you know, it's just kind of, I, I kept thinking of, um, I love, love, love the film, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And, you know, oh, yeah, it's a great one. yeah, really. But like, it just, it's even at one point, Jane goes behind the door and initially she just, she's yearning. I mean, to not have that knowledge about everything and speaking to kind mm-hmm. of the power of blissful ignorance. She, she calls it the, the eating Eden of precious ignorance was something that kind of struck me. And then, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's another line that he wrote. What, um, what after all is more important than comfort and what is more comfortable than ignorance and it just it's I, it, that kind of idea kept hitting me in the face just like how you know the powers you know sometimes when you know it, that term woke is out there in the world but i mean the people who aren't aware of other people's suffering it kind of must feel nice because mm-hmm. there's a responsibility when you know about things so that was i thought that was really really fun how um i don't know the idea of forgetfulness and what it could do both positively and negatively just just kept it was it was it was it was so fun to think about. Um, I'm curious. If this is very generally speaking, but um, I'm sure people talk to you about your book, and um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm wondering, kind of, what are they um most delighted by, or even like, or you know, when when they do discuss it with you, what uh what holes are they looking to fill? What 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 do you come upon, or or are they just try? Do they come asking you about uh? Cats and sandals. What, what, what is it that um, <laughs> you feel that, you're, that well, people are coming at you they, with? 
they definitely asked me about cats and sandals <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, I think cats in particular, yeah. that, 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 that question will come up most of the time. Yep. Um, which is, I, I think I can say the question without really spoiling anything to the people. Yeah. Um, uh, it's cats question mark. Um, as in, <laughs> are there Perfect. cats? Are there cats? And uh, it, that that question uh-huh. is not mine to answer. That's that's sort of the point of the question. Totally. I know what I think. Yep. And I've been asked that. I was asked that by my editor, mm-hmm. and I told him my answer, and he was like, "I don't think that you're right." And I was like, <laughs> "Well, that's sort of the whole point." You explicitly give the reader like the power to make these decisions. I mean, you, you, it's stated. That, is, it, that it, is the point of it. That's the point of it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's it's. I didn't honestly. I was so kind of obsessed with all these other themes that we've already discussed and, and some others. The ideas with with revenge. There was a lot of issue things there, and you know all the interpretation that you know. I, I right when we went through that part about cat's question mark, it was it was really really cool turn and the way you presented it and everything, but it was just like, Oh, cool. I get, you know, we, we get to make that decision. That's what that is or not depending on what you want. But then I just, I kind of breezed by and was just digging, keep kept digging into the narrative. And, and so, yeah, I'm sure you get that a yeah. lot. Anything else? Well, the, yeah. And there are, there are cats. If, mm. the, if there are cats, then there are cats. Yep. yep. And if there aren't cats, then there aren't. And, and I will say, the character, the character who who makes that revelation, is a character who can see the ways that different people are interpreting things, and he says, ah, "I didn't fix anything." Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so th- that's sort of anticipating that I I I know um, I know that there are people who disagree. My friend Ben does. Yeah. Other things, um, the the oubliettes really really pop out to people. Yeah. People, I, I've had a lot of people. Um, contact me that are reading it and say, is this going to like, is, is this coming back? Because I don't know if I can read this book. Mm. It, like this might be a little bit too scary if, yeah. if this is actually going to happen. And I'll I have to tell them, yeah, this is, this is going to be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to decide. Um, and, and that got called out by, I think it was the Washington Post reviewer as well, um, as being one of the scariest things they've ever read, which I liked because I wanted it. To Definitely. Be. It was that, um, you took us right inside it. That that was absolutely terrifying. I'm, I'm thinking about it a lot since. It was, and just to credit to your writing, it was terrifying. Thank you. Yeah. That, that was the Stephen King of it all. Okay. But like, <laughs> right. So can we, can we bring in something? Because it's, it's, you know, hopefully it's funny. It's yep. certainly goofy a lot of it. Sure. Um, I think, you know, people, people really seem to respond to the characters of Jane and Bailey, who are favorites of mine. Yeah. Um, so, so they, oh, they get mentioned a lot and, and, and they really, they, they really are, um, they really do function as sort of the, um, they ultimately become the heroes of the book. Yeah. They aren't the protagonist. And the, I, I think, I think the revisionaries is, has been rightly called out. Uh, in a couple places for being that male centric. Mm. And I think that that's, I that. that's sort of, yeah. th- that is the function of it having been written by, you know, by younger, um, you know, younger men. Yeah. 
I mean, but at the same time, you're really calling out, and we've discussed it. Uh, I mean, just kind of these these really intense flaws in 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 in, in these men. Well, that's the result of it being <laughs> written by a plotted by a younger man, but written by by an older man. But yes, but it yes. is still, you know, it's, oh, sure. it's still it's still. I see it as, as, as a very valid criticism and one that I was sort of aware of. And I ultimately, after thinking of ways to fix it, realized it's okay. part of the point of this book also is it's okay to be wrong. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, when, when you, when you are in the world, uh, one of the things that Gordy really wants is to always be sort of seen as innocent and, and establish his own innocence. Mm-hmm. And you see that with some people where like, well, not all men are not all this and all that. Well, the, the truth is that, that, um, that, that you are going to be wrong sometimes. And sometimes you're just going to have to, you're going to have to admit it. But those characters, those characters do get brought up quite a lot. Um, and I think probably the other uh, that, that really comes up a lot that people, uh, that people love is Julius. Yeah. Julius is probably the character I hear about. Most. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, he's, he's absolutely fascinating. I mean, he grips you right away because you're with him right from the onset. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned Bailey. This this is kind of a smaller moment in the scheme of the book, but um, you know her attics were really um, fascinating to me. And I thought one of the most beautiful moments in the book was when she she kind of contemplates and, and sees the world that she's existed in as those attics, um, kind of mm-hmm. looking at the world as all these rooms with possibilities. I thought that was so beautiful. Which is just I just wanted to, wanted to mention that. Um, I'm curious because I I love your writing very much now after spending time with it. What's uh anything um anything you're working on or or do you have any any both uh, these questions I'd like to ask um anything you're working on and do you have any plans to um, play with this world at all anymore? Um, I have no plans to play with this world. Okay. Um, uh, uh, which is not to say I won't. Sure. Um, also, also to the point that you just brought up that that you know Bailey realizes that. You know, she had been in this mindscape where she went from room to room to room, yeah, and then she mind. found herself sort of locked out of that, but realized, oh, you know, actually, I, every everywhere I am is a room. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I sort of, without really intending to do it, I think that, that anything I write will sort of be within that world, even though I don't plan to you know, bring the characters back or or do anything to tie directly to it. I think that it's going to probably be in the same, um, at, at the very least, it's going to be in, in, in a very similar sort of um, space. Cool. So, Good. you know, for future Good. projects, I'm working on a book right now that I, I, that I have a tentative title that, that nobody likes, uh, which is fine because uh, I'm sure that we'll, we don't have to wait 20 years. Um, I, I, I can't make any promises, but I, I, I do intend to write it before 20 years is gone by. I've, okay. I've written probably about, uh, 20% of it awesome. and I have it plotted. I know what it's about. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you one hint that it's not a spoiler at all. Please. Gravity. Awesome. So there you go. Good. Something. Just, something just, just think it. about gravity and, <laughs> and now you have the whole story. Right? Awesome. I'm, I'm also, and I don't, I, I think I, I think I can't say too much but I, I do I should I should whet the appetite Please. a little because I know that it's um that that Tom Marshall and RJ B brought it up on a recent podcast. Yeah. Um there's there's a fiction 
podcast that Osiris yes. is yep, working on. Announcing that, yeah. um, and also uh, me. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 my, and, and my writing partner. Um, oh, ben. hell yes. Fantastic. That's so this cool. is, yeah, so this is, this is going to be uh, a, a similar, well, it's going to be, it's going to be with the same, uh, with the same collaborators anyway. Um, and it's really cool. I won't, I, I won't say do anything we have a, else. Do we have a date on that? Because I don't think any, uh, I think. At all? That sounds, it's just, I'm so excited myself. Yeah. That, well, it, it's, all I'll say is it's, it's, very cool. It's uh, it's an idea that um, that you know we've we've been developing together, okay. and it's uh, you know I, I think I think everybody's very excited about it. Mm-hmm. I know I am. Um, I, I I you know the date on it. I don't want to say just not not even because I don't think I am allowed to, but because <laughs> I don't think I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that. I, I, I think if you went back and listened to uh, and I can remember what podcast it was. I was listening to it. It was it was about a week and a half With ago. The four twenty live, and, right? And four twenty live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 so R, so RJ and Tom. I think if you listen to that, you'll get some more info on it. You'll get. I think they're they're talking about like roughly when they they would want it to come out. Yep. Um, but it. Oh, but yeah, look for it. It's gonna be it's gonna be a banger. Nice, that's awesome. That 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 gets me excited. And yeah, Osiris fam, which is great. Um, honestly, I love this book. I, I it was such a treat to get lost in it. Was oh, like, it's like to hear. It was like really, you know, we all need some serious escapism right now. And I really can't recommend this book as that. And also, you know, it's escapism, but it really there's there's a lot to to make you think. And like we we talked about, there's things about the nature of the world that you, you can definitely get to some understanding or at least think about. And, but that, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's such a fun, wild, different, unique ride. And, uh, cheers to you for, for bringing this story to life. It's incredible. I, it's really awesome. Oh, thank anyway, you. Thank you so much. And, uh, thank you for talking about it with us. I appreciate your time a whole lot. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com.